When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You are now entering a critical thinking zone. So thinking caps are required beyond this point. From deep behind enemy lines, deep in the heart of the Midwest, it's your host, Andrew Coppins. And it's time for critical thinking. COVID insanity has not gone away. Of course, Joe Biden. Well, he thinks that uh, masking on planes is back. And oh, by the way, um, hardening schools, nah, we shouldn't do that. And well, the search for answers when it comes to school shootings and Uvalde, Texas and all of that continue to come. I'll discuss all that and more on today's Critical Thinking. Yes, you're tuned into Critical Thinking. I'm Andrew Coppins. You can follow me at The Coppins Show on all the platforms that you can see above. If you're watching on Rumble, rumble.com backslash critical thinking. And if you're not watching on Rumble, then just simply find me on the podcasting platform of your choosing. And if we are not there, please let us know. And I say we because, well, the mighty Patrick Oni uh, is hopefully returning next week. I, I haven't gotten a definitive answer on that yet, uh, but I believe at some point in the next week or two, uh, Pat will be back with us. Um, all of that having been said, folks. I'm not going to spoil this for you if you have yet to see it, but uh, the wife and I went to the movies last night and had a chance to check out Top Gun Maverick. I just have to say this. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. It was fantastic in all the ways that we're not used to movies of today being fantastic for. Um, just good Solid, wholesome, fun. Just fun. When's the last time you went to a movie and said, man, that was fun? That's all I have to say about that. So go check it out if you haven't already. Um, I believe Pat is going to see it this weekend, and so maybe we'll discuss it um, next week, give you guys enough time to have already seen it. Uh, but 
All of that having been said, like I said, we are going to be talking about the COVID crazies coming back in full force um, because, you know, <gasps> cases are on the rise six times higher than this time last year. Oh, but um, don't worry about those hospitalizations and the um, the the lack of death. D don't worry about that. Buckle down, everybody. We'll talk about that. Um, and I think that's where I want to start the show, because we have this article from The Hill telling us um, that as summer begins, U.S. COVID cases six times higher than last year. As the U.S. marked Memorial Day weekend and the unofficial start of summer, the seven-day average for COVID-19 cases in the U.S. are more than six times what they were a year ago. The Johns Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center showed a seven-day average of 119,725 cases as of Saturday. That figure held at 17,887 cases on May 28th of last year. Despite the rising infection rate, COVID-related deaths were down from last year, a sign of increased immunity through vaccinations and prior infections, along with wider availability of treatments. Now, that would be about half of the article here. They go on to note that the seven-day average of 470 deaths reported on Friday, right before uh, Memorial Day weekend, marked a decrease from 637 on the same day last year. The CDC has said that about 54% of the U.S. population is experiencing low COVID-19 community levels, though some areas are seeing medium and high levels. And we here in Chicago, by the way, are in one of those high-risk levels. But we have bucked the CDC here in Chicago because they're simply saying here at the public health level, wait a minute, if we're not seeing an increase in all of the other things like the hospitalizations, the ICU beds, maybe, just maybe, we shouldn't worry about it. And we aren't seeing any of that. In fact, uh, my buddy uh, Phil Kirpin has pointed that out. We, we are not seeing a massive spike. Are we seeing a small increase in hospitalizations and deaths? Yes. But for the past month, we have been seeing that increase in case numbers. Here we go again with The Hill, with The New York Times, with The Washington Post, with all of these uh magazines and all of these online sites and all these newspapers just scaring the bejesus out of people with case numbers those case numbers mean nothing and furthermore when we talk about how is it possible that we see six times more cases yet lower rates of death and lower rates of of hospitalizations right how are, how is that possible well, it is possible because there are a lot of people who have gotten the vaccines, but the thing that The Hill and most in the media are not talking about is the fact that when you compare the rates of cases, you're talking about apples and oranges because this time last year, we were not dealing with Omicron or Omicron. We we're not dealing with it, right? We weren't at all. It was still Alpha and then Delta. So we were still dealing with the, the main strain of COVID-19. The strain that the <clears throat> so-called vaccinations were there to help us prevent, 
right? So the prevention of those um, initial alpha variant of COVID-19 should have worked. It didn't. We saw breakthrough case after breakthrough case. We saw uh, you know, huge numbers rising. Now, it turned out that most of those breakthrough cases were actually Delta cases, then later Omicron cases. But the point of the matter is this. You, you are trying to compare statistically two things that are apples and oranges. They don't, they're not the same. You can't compare the levels of infection because if you were talking about being boosted, if you're talking about the three shots, the four shots, and oh, by the way, uh, Anthony Fauci, our Lord, Savior, President, Dr. Anthony Fauci, decided to come out this past weekend and tell the uh, United States of America that, well, we're probably just going to have to get your annual shot now. That's probably going to have to be a thing, just like the flu shot, except for this was not meant to be anything like the flu shot. And Fauci refuses to acknowledge that these are two different things, right? The flu shot is literally a living version of that virus meant to trick the body and infect the body so that in the future, when that comes, you don't get it. The mRNA vaccination is not that. And more importantly, it has never been able to figure out how to work with different variants. They've never, they have yet to produce a single, single solitary piece of evidence that suggests that the mRNA vaccination from um, Pfizer or Moderna is actually going to be able to be something that can be replicated for different varieties or different variants of the COVID-19 um, virus and disease. So we're going to get an annual shot to do what? Are we going to be able to produce something that will help us figure out what variant will be dominant that year or not? And oh, by the way, it, it is proven not to care in terms of case numbers, what season of the year it is. It's just ebbing and flowing every three to four months. We have a spike almost every three to four months. It doesn't matter. So are, are you suggesting that that is the route that we're going to be able to do? If that is the case, why in the hell have we not gotten the Omicron variant version of the Moderna or Pfizer shots. Turns out they can't do it. It turns out that they don't have the ability to adjust their dosages and their shots and all these other things. You are literally just throwing crap at the wall and hoping it sticks. Still thinking that. To the point of this, this is Yanir Baryam. Y Yamir, Yanir Baryam, who is a systems physicist studying pandemics since 2005. Oh yeah, um, by the way, progressive elimination. This is him yesterday, the last day of May before we got to make sure you turn everything gay for the month of, of June. But Yanir Baryam says that Shanghai just finished a two-month lockdown 
they went all out and stopped the pandemic using a dynamic zero COVID strategy, including both lockdown and mass testing. People are out in the street celebrating. They can do so without risk of infection or long COVID. The West is suffering over two years because we do not believe that we can organize ourselves to confront this challenge. People say China is an autocracy. In the West, people are controlled by the press and corporate interests instead of their own. Should we conclude that autocracy is more capable than market democracy in protecting the health and well-being of the population? I know we can defeat the pandemic, and we can do so even without lockdowns. What? What the absolute crap is this guy talking about? But this is the COVID crazy. They literally believe that in Shanghai, where this is not the first, but the second time that they've gone through these types of draconian lockdowns. And oh, by the way, they've done this elsewhere in China to still in Wuhan have these problems, still outbreaks in Wuhan, still outbreaks in Shanghai and elsewhere in China. And oh, by the way, Hong Kong, which has almost 100% mask efficacy, mask wearing, right? 100% in nearly 100% of them having gotten a vaccination. They just led the world last month in COVID case numbers. How does that happen? There's no such thing as zero COVID. It does not exist. It cannot exist. It will never exist. We will never be rid of this. And for the sooner that these so-called experts understand this, I don't get it. This is something that will never go away. Ever. We have never been able to eradicate any disease or virus in the history of the world. Polio, it still exists. We still have to get a shot against polio. And by the way, a lot of people who study these things suggest that those of us in our 40s and in the 30s who have gotten that polio vaccination likely need another one because it doesn't last forever, y'all. How do we see meningitis coming back in America? Not because there were people who refused to get the MMR vaccination, because it still lives. And vaccines are never a 100% bulletproof situation. Neither is just locking down forevs, y'all. Neither is that. But... um. We we got this on Twitter, too, this wonderful thread from JKLMD. Fellow zero coveters, what is your long-term plan? We have responses like, well, we're staying home and keeping our son home until things change. What that change is, who knows? Society getting a reality check? Economic collapse because the labor force is decimated? True sterilization? Uh, sterilizing vaccines? Whatever it may be, we are doing everything in our power to stay COVID-free. We have other people saying, well, wait until the pod people hit 9 or 10 SARS infections. We also have this. Would love to hear more from parents of those that are older than five. Keeping the kids home much longer with little socialization, uh, socializing 
will likely have its own pitfalls. Oh, no, you don't say. We, we've, we haven't. Mm, no, we have no evidence of that. And yet sending them to school with their not well-fitting masks feels like an even bigger risk. How? How is that possible given all of the freaking evidence in front of us? How is that possible? Your child has a better chance of dying at your hands than of dying of getting COVID-19. Your child has a better chance of being struck by lightning, by uh, death from cholera, death from you name it. This is literally one of the most unlethal things to your child that exists on the planet. So don't tell me that the COVID crazy has subsided. We also have this individual telling us, same boat. Basically, we've run out of road. Raising a kid for many years in total isolation causes damage of its own. My three-year-old, listen to this. My three-year-old has not played with a child his age since he was one. It can't go on. My plan is to try and vax him and then let him go. Maybe I mask and HEPA at home to protect me. The absolute utter insanity of it all amazes me. It absolutely amazes me. And then couple it with the news that broke this morning that Joe Biden just a about a day, maybe 24 to 48 hours before um, the deadline to file an appeal in the case of the CDC mask mandate on planes. Uh, before that was going to go away. Oh, yeah, well, we're, we're back to defending masks on planes. Except for all evidence shows that there hasn't been an issue. Except for all evidence also shows that the unruliness and the, the insanity on planes has basically leveled out. It, it, it has not gotten any worse. In fact, it's gotten better over the past month. Yet, our government is going to continue to try this craziness with us over and over and over again unless we are vigilant, unless we pay attention, and unless we demand this insanity stop, period. When you see it or hear it, no. And why did it stop here in Chicago, right? Why are we not, oh, mask up everywhere, even though we're in the quote-unquote high-risk category? Why? Because the public health individual here in the city realizes exactly what the hell would happen if they tried that crap. There's already mass issues with violence and rioting and so-called mass gatherings here in the city. It would, it would intensify in ways that would be unfathomable. Yet we have people still isolating their children. We have people still buying Chinese propaganda telling us that they somehow eliminated COVID. And then we still have people believing that masks forever, y'all, except for, oh wait, the New York Times literally admitted less than 24 hours ago that um, masks don't actually work. They don't do anything. They don't accomplish anything at all. 
We still have people yelling at those people for, how dare you not wear a mask around my pregnancy? And then, well, well, you should be wearing a mask because um, if you're infected and, and no, 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 you believe that the masks are supposed to work both ways, right? Oh, it doesn't. Oh, it doesn't prevent you from breathing in, except for then you exhale it out and then you breathe it in. OK, sure. Uh, uh, OK, I, I just. Really, every single thing that we've talked about for two years. They still believe it, despite all of the evidence, despite all of the crap that we have talked about over the past two years, despite it all, despite everything that you could throw at them, this is the psychosis. This is the spirit of the age. This is the absolute demonic evil that has overtaken large swaths of our society, whether that's in academia, our culture, whether that's in church. We've talked about that wherever every corner of our society seems to have this sickness in it. And I'm over here like, um, can we just critically think through the problem? And that's where I want to go next. I want to be able to critically think through the issues that exist when it comes to mass violence, right? When it comes to school shootings, because it seems to be the only time that we give a crap as a society is when these mass school shootings happen. Never mind the fact that we see it almost every weekend here in Chicago or in Baltimore or New York City or Los Angeles or San Francisco, pick a place, Seattle, St. Louis. I can go on and on. We don't care about it unless it's actually affecting the psyche Oh, it's just uh, just three gangbangers getting mowed down. Listen to me on this. It's important to care about that because you can't be pro-life and then, ah, psh, they're just gangbangers. No, we have to show that their life matters. We have to show them that, that there's worth inside them they have to find that worth, but we also have to show it to them. We can't just not do that. But beyond that, we have this whole thing about searching for answers, right? You have to search for the answer to all of the things that are going on. And the, a couple of solutions have been hardening up the target that, that is the school building, hardening up um, red flag laws, which we talked about yesterday, and the fact that literally every single state has a mechanism to deal with this problem without stripping your constitutional right. That's the important thing here. How can we do this around the framework of the Constitution? Yet nobody wants to have that discussion. Nobody seems to want to have that. Well, red flag laws, but the Constitution. We have constitutional ways to deal with these things. So let's use that framework and figure out how best to handle these things. And maybe some of the solution is let's have an amendment to the Constitution. Let's take a look at the Fourth Amendment. Maybe rewrite a part of the Fourth Amendment. Add on to it. Alter it. Amend it. You realize that we can do that? There you go. But 
one of the things that we've talked about is hardening schools, right? A lot of people are talking about that. But the president of the United States, well, uh, apparently not a fan, according to uh, Miss uh, Pierre Jackson or whatever um, name she's going by these days, the uh, White House press secretary. I don't know what he said specifically about about schools. I know there's been uh, conversation about hardening schools. That is not something that he believes in. He believes that we should be able to to give uh, teachers the resources to be able to do the job uh, that they're meant to do at schools. Um, and this is something that uh, he's been focusing on uh, since he was a vice vice president. So those are two things that he does not agree on. Uh, but look, he thinks there's a way. I don't know about you, but I mean. I told you from the outset, like if you thought Jen Psaki was annoying, was bad, was condescending, was patronizing, if you thought that, uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre, that's her name, Corinne Jean-Pierre is 10 times as bad. But notice how dismissive of the idea uh, Joe Biden and the White House are, just totally dismissive of the hardening of the targets. And I wonder this, is he right to oppose the hardening of the target? Is he bad for opposing that? Is it bad to say no? Because I want you to think about this. Over the course of however many years here, you could probably pick three or four of these incidents, but I'm looking at Parkland. I'm looking at this instance. School doors malfunctioned, right? That's a supposed hardening of the target. They had a fence around the school, hardening of the target in Uvalde. All the, all the killer did was scale the fence. They had school resource officers Oops, just not at the elementary schools. So they had to go from a secondary school, uh, like the middle school or whatever, to this school. And then the, the resource officers were shot at and retreated. Allegedly. I still don't know if that's actually the case or not. What I do know that we can confirm is that they were not on scene when this originally started, like we were told they were. So every effort to harden that target failed. Parkland, the school resource officer, armed, by the way, cowered in fear, hid instead of engaging with the shooter, the killer, the mass murderer. So we have put money, time, effort, thought into all of it. And it failed on multiple levels, multiple times. So does hardening the target actually work? Well, according to the National School Resource Officer Association, apparently that's a thing, there have been over 120 incidents that over uh, 2018 to 2020, over 120 incidents that were thwarted by school resource officers and hardening of the targets. We never hear about them because why? 
They don't sell newspapers. They don't make headlines. They don't make you take a look at the website. They don't give you the clicks, all of that stuff. So I generally am torn about spending more money hardening targets. I really am. Because on one hand, we have evidence of it working. On the other hand, even with all of those increased resources, even with all of the planning, all of those things, still fails spectacularly. Is the answer to do nothing? I don't think so either. But the immediate right side of the aisle going to, we got to harden all the targets. This target was as hardened as it possibly could be. And it failed because of what? Human fallibility. This failed because a teacher decided, well, I, I don't want the inconvenience of having to unlock the door while I'm bringing food in for my classroom. She propped the door open, then went to close it, except for it never latched. She never closed it all the way. So the shooter was able to get in because of her human fallibility. She made a mistake. The, the hardened target became a very soft target by one mistake, one time. By one human being not staying vigilant to the threat that could at any point in time exist. Let the guard down, and it happened. Am I blaming that individual? No. It could happen to anybody, because we're all fallible human beings. We are all more than capable of making a mistake. And that's okay. Mistakes happen. Unfortunately, in this case, this mistake was life and death. But every single uh, hardening of a target here failed. The fence, hop over it. Uh, the um, choke point, right? The attempt to move into one area in one area of access failed for convenience sake. How do you harden a target any more than it already should be in the United States of America? I don't know a single school anywhere that you can just walk into as a, as a parent, as a member of the uh, general public. I don't know a single school in which you can do that during the school day. I don't, I don't, not one. So what is the answer here? Spend more money to make sure that fallible humans are somehow less fallible. We're throwing money after the problem and it seems not to be the solution. We already know the things that can help in eliminating those chances, but are we also creating a society in which we literally are chaining our kids inside of a classroom or inside of a school building or school campus? Are we really doing that to ourselves? 
Is that really the answer here? I'm failing to understand how that is also positive in any way, shape, or form. So spending more money to harden targets that are already as hard as they possibly can be. We have done all of the things that take out human fallibility as much as possible. And even that also doesn't eliminate human fallibility. So what gives? What could be a solution here? What could happen? Well, there's actually a really interesting article um, from Intellectual Takeout talking about bureaucracy does not allow for courage. And this is from Andy Holmquist. And I brought up the Parkland shooting on purpose earlier because the school resource officer cowered in fear. But what I haven't brought up yet is the fact that um, the New York Times dug in to talk about, well, or look at what types of training were available, what types of things were supposed to be done versus not done, and this whole idea of let's go money morning quarterback all this stuff, right? And um, I think you would be surprised at what you're going to find or what they found out. So Mike Baker over at the New York Times, writes the following Twitter thread that also links to the proper article. But according to their research, in the past two years, and this is research that is verifiable by documents that they were able to find, in the past two years, the Uvalde School District has hosted at least two active shooter training days, one of them just two months ago. The trainings included both classroom teachings and role-playing scenarios inside school hallways. The Uvalde training session two months ago relied on guidelines that gave explicit expectations for officers responding to an active shooting. Not just the school resource officer, but everybody. And the training is 100% clear. Time is of the essence. The first priority, according to the guidelines, is to move in and confront the attacker. Number one is to stop the killing. Officer's first priority is to move in and confront the attacker. And that may include bypassing the injured and not responding to cries for help from children. Number two is to stop the dying. Once the threat has been isolated, distracted, and or neutralized, they should begin providing medical aid to those most seriously injured. And then thirdly is to evacuate the injured. As soon as the scene can be secured, every effort should be made to quickly evacuate the premises. I, 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 okay, that cannot be any more clear. There are literally three priorities. Stop the killing, stop the dying, and evacuate the injured. But you might say, well, how should school resource officers or officers in general uh, confront the gunmen? Maybe there's a tactical team. The training says that's probably not feasible because of the urgency is so high. It says here, <clears throat> time is the number one enemy during active shooter response. The short duration and high casualty rates produced by these events requires immediate response to reduce the loss of life. In many cases, that immediate response means a single or solo officer response until such time as other forces can arrive. The best hope that innocent victims have is that officers 
immediately move into action to isolate, distract, or neutralize the threat, even if that means one officer acting alone. The priority of life, it continues to say this, first responders to active shooter scene will usually be required to place themselves in harm's way and display uncommon acts of courage to save the incident. As first responders, we must recognize that innocent life must be defended. A first responder unwilling to place the lives of the innocent above their own safety should consider another career field. That's literally in the document. The training expectations are obvious here, and they are in stark contrast to what we saw in Uvalde, Texas. Police officials have said that officers were reluctant to engage the gunman because they could have been shot. And we've seen this time and time again. Well, the chain of command, the chain of command. And I've seen this argument. In fact, uh, our friend Dominic Izzo of the Rants of Izzo has, has talked about this. We don't know what was going on. We don't know if the officers wanted to respond but didn't because, moi, change of command. Excuse me, chain of command. But the point that um, Annie Hoffman is making, or uh, excuse me, Annie Holmquist is making is that we could rant and rave and shout coward or defund the police, as many on Twitter are doing in the face of the tragedy, or we could also stop and consider that these people may simply be products of a bureaucratic culture in which nobody can move, in which nobody can think or act without following official procedure, right? Because if I don't do this by the book, and here's the issue, damned if they did, damned if they didn't, damned if they acted in a courageous manner quickly, and something happened, right? Well, you didn't follow proper procedure and protocol, so I'm going to get written up or or demoted or my career gone, poof, see you later, liable, whatever, right? And since they decided for 90 minutes not to act, they're now damned because they didn't. Because we have no way of knowing how many lives could have been saved in this attack. Except for it took them 90 minutes to build up a tactical response and it turned out that it was two off-duty uh, Customs and Border Patrol individuals who came in and did the courageous thing. Said, screw your bureaucracy. Screw all of this. We are going in. Off-duty. It is amazing to me. But... Hannah Arndt, in a 1969 article titled On Violence, had a really great response to all this because everybody wonders how that's possible. Is it bad training? No, they've done all the training that they possibly could. Is it um, people unfit for the job? I would argue that is exactly the case right now because it's fill every possible spot that you possibly can, regardless of training, regardless of their fitness for duty. We just need the bodies. We had 500 people here in the city of Chicago quit the police force in the last uh, nine months or so. 500. Those need replacing. Is the training adequate? Is the the pool of, of candidates adequate? And I'll tell you this right now, as a grandson of a former uh, captain in the sheriff's department, I would want 
absolutely no part, zero part of being a cop right now. None. Zip, zero, zilch. Never mind the fact that I know that I'm 40 years old. But even if I were 20 or 21 or 22 or 24 or 25, would I want any part of it? Because there is no margin for your human fallibility at all in today's society. None. So I, I guess I just look at it from the, that perspective. But they talk about it this way, um, talking about our response to violence. Uh, Hannah Arndt says that um, the greater the bureaucratization, uh, the bureaucratic uh, life, or excuse me, the greater the bureaucratization of public life, if I could say that word at all, the greater will be the attraction of violence. She continued to say that the problem was that, quote, in a fully developed bureaucracy, there is nobody left with whom one can argue, to whom one can present grievances, on whom the pressures of power could be exerted. Continuing to write, bureaucracy is the form of government in which everybody is deprived of political freedom, of the power to act, for the rule by nobody is not no rule, and where all are equally powerless, we actually have a tyranny without a tyrant. And that's exactly what we have right now. We have a tyranny without a tyrant. And these people are so paralyzed about what happens to me or what happens to us because procedure, because this, because that, because this, instead of just doing the, the right thing, regardless of the consequences, regardless of what bureaucratic um, uppity structure, whatever command structure exists. They're too afraid of that versus doing the thing that needs to be done. That's the training that these people have been given. They're not trained how to act. They're trained how to react to command. They're not trained how to be active in the community. They're trained how to be reactive they're trained how to be reactive to command structure, not active or, or problem solvers. You know, one of the things that in my previous life and, and still in this life, in my real estate life, that I strive to do and strove to do was not just be a person who notices a problem or notices a situation but also present potential solutions to those issues and problems or things that are good or things that could tweak a little bit or whatever. But we don't, we don't reward that, especially not in this type of bureaucratic society. We don't. At the end of the day, what this shows me is that we are a society that is so sick that bureaucracy rules our lives more than our ability to freely, openly, and critically think. That's why this show is titled Critical Thinking. It's why it's so vitally important to us. You have to really critically think in order for you to react positively to a situation like this.
Now, there's still one more thing I want to get to, and it's this concept because, of course, um, what do we have to do here? Well, we, we, we have to have a mandatory gun buyback. And Jared Petty, um, who is a um, writer at uh, Limited Run Games and um, at Free Association, a uh, bunch of other places, right? Is a host of the Top 100 Games podcast. It says, and this is a very common theme. He tweeted out, so to start, a mandatory nationwide buyback of all handguns, semi-automatic rifles, and high-capacity magazines, followed by felony penalties for possession and sale of these weapons. A firearms black market would certainly continue to exist, but would likely gradually be curbed. Effectively, take weapons designed to kill people out of people's hands. Shootings will likely continue. They'd also be less lethal in some instances, and as gun culture eroded, I suspect that attitudes toward firearm violence would change, and we would see a longer-term shift. Just a national commitment to doing something anti-violent and constructive might be extraordinarily powerful in shifting our normative violence. There's no wild game on the continent that a lever or bolt-action rifle or a pump or double-barreled shotgun is insufficient tools for hunting. Okay, a mandatory gun buyback. So what you're really talking about is not a gun buyback. You are just talking about banning guns, confiscating guns. And, oh, by the way, do you know how much it would cost? Because there's an estimated 400 million of the guns that you talked about in American society today. You understand that you would have to market level that. And by all estimations, we are talking about another trillion to two trillion dollars at a market value. Okay, we're really going to spend that. Furthermore, there's one great reason to oppose all of it. To oppose all of it. Let me tell you a story about uh, this little thing called Wounded Knee. I'm sure a lot of you learned about it at one point in time throughout your academic careers. I'm sure that is the case. But I don't think you've actually learned the full story. Most importantly, I think the only thing that you know is that a bunch of uh, racist, evil, awful um, members of the United States military, specifically the 7th Cavalry of the uh, United States Army, slaughtered a bunch of Sioux Indians at Wounded Knee. That is part of the story. And you might say, well, why would you oppose a mandatory gun buyback? Why? Well, um, <clears throat> December 29th, 1890, 297 Sioux Indians at Wounded Knee Creek on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, so already on the reservation in South Dakota, were murdered by federal agents and members of the 7th Cavalry who had come to confiscate their firearms for their own safety and protection. You see, we're going to confiscate your guns. We're going to mandatory buy back your guns because it's for your own good. <clears throat> the slaughter happened right after the majority of the Sioux peacefully turned in their firearms. 
The Sioux Indians believed if I just turn them in, the government, the American government, will leave me alone. And, and we'll be able to live our peaceful lives on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, right? The cavalry began to immediately shoot, managing to wipe out the entire camp, all 297 of them. By the way, 200 of those 297 victims were women and children. Wounded Knee was not the first, by the way, federally backed gun confiscation attempt in United States history. It was one of the first, but it was not the first. And in, in at least every other incident that I can find of gun confiscation in American history, the government committed acts of violence against the people who were following their due orders of the United States government. Call me crazy, but shame on you, or shame on me, after the second time that I hear about this. Now, furthermore, I go back to that story and the quote from George Washington. A free people ought not to be armed and, uh, excuse me, a free people ought not only be armed and disciplined, but they should have sufficient arms and ammunition to maintain a status of independence from any who might attempt to abuse them, which would include their own government. A free people ought not only be armed and disciplined, but they should have sufficient arms and ammunition to maintain a status of independence from any who might attempt to abuse them, which would include their own government. Our own government, over time, time and again, whatever, whatever group you think you are a part of, has at one point in time attempted to oppress you, has at one point in time attempted to abuse you. To take away your rights. It's not just for the well-regulated militia. It is so that we, as the American people, whether that is the, in, the Native American population, or the Indian population, however you want to put it, or uh, the, the black population, or whatever minority population, or whatever majority minority population exists in this country, Christian, Muslim, uh, Judeo-Christian, um, you know, Hindu, Sikh, Buddhist, whatever. If you believe that your government won't oppress you if you just give them what they want, you're insane and you don't know history. So how about you can miss me with your gun confiscation because I know my history. And my history suggests that the government of this very country will abuse me if they want to, if I just give up my rights. My rights against the government. My rights win almost every time. And I should have the right to be able to hold my rights against the tyranny of the government, regardless of what you believe. But hey, mandatory gun buybacks. Let's let's talk about that, but let's not talk about hardening the target, right? Hmm. Hmm. Could we maybe focus in on neither of them and focus in more on our ability to 
put the right people in positions that matter for our larger society? Can we talk about actually using the tools in our toolbox that already exist that we refuse to use? Just saying. On that note, I hope every one of you has a great rest of your day. Welcome to June, by the way. And as always, be smart, be safe, be kind. Matthew 547. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.